I wonder if you can relate to the story. Middle-aged guy standing in front of a mirror. Like, look at this. I got wrinkles everywhere. And I mean, what hair I have left is gray. And I mean, just look at all the weight I've put on. I mean, I look terrible. Wife looks up, reading her magazine, rolling her eyes. He's like, come on, honey, I could use a little help here. I mean, can't you say anything nice about me? She's like, you got pretty good eyesight. <laughs> Ouch. But I'll tell you, friends, <laughs> like many things, until you lose it, you don't know how valuable it is. Vision. Today we're going to continue our study in Exodus, and we're going to discover how important a vision of the end goal in mind is to enable us to endure when we face adversity. I mean, when the going gets tough, when it seems like, what's the point of continuing to try? Vision is what will keep you going here. So I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures here this morning and turn with me in the book of Exodus, Exodus in chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple of chapters here this morning, and we're just going to kind of focus in on Moses, which the uh, first part of uh, Exodus is really all about is his call, his birth, is you know, just getting him ready to lead a nation and uh, what we're going to see is that Moses is facing some ministry troubles here. You probably know the story well, so you know what's going on. You know, first here in verse 1, we notice that Pharaoh has rejected God's word. You remember how difficult it was just getting Moses motivated enough or convinced to get going. He had all of those reasons, excuses, you know, objections to God calling him to go and talk to Pharaoh. Well, he did. You know, the Lord says, let my people go. And you remember Pharaoh said, well, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? I will not let the people go. And so here is Moses kind of licking his wounds a bit. Pharaoh has rejected God's word. You remember here, look at verse 1. After Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh... Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is Yahweh? Who is this God you speak of that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Well, then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and with the sword. Well, I think that might have been a strategy on Moses' part to say, you keep us, you may lose us anyway. Just a good idea to let us go. And look at here at Pharaoh's response. I mean, if it isn't enough that he says, yeah, I don't even know this God. I got lots of God. Let me introduce you to my hundreds of gods here. But I've never heard of this one. Get back to work. And there's the question, why do you stop the work in verse 4? But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, 
The people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. No longer give the people straw to make bricks in the past. But the number of bricks that they have made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Here in verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people scattered throughout all of the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. And here in verse 13, the taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily tasks each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and asked, why have you not done all your task of making brick today and yesterday as in the past? And we can see that it seems that by Moses doing what God had called him to do, it had gone from bad to worse. And that's frustrating in a ministry. Hey, let's go make a difference in people's lives. Hey, they're all angry at us and they don't like the difference it made. Wow. Bad to worse. And it's not very motivating. To give it your all and to see not only no results, but negative results. I mean, how is God expecting Moses to continue this? You know, God, I did exactly what you told. Now look at what happened. Wow, that's got to be frustrating. And so you can see the people, the foremen are now complaining to Pharaoh. Verse 15, then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? I mean, no straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go sacrifice to Yahweh. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. And the foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks and your daily tasks each day. So the foreman now go talk to Moses and Aaron. And if, isn't, if it is not bad enough that it went from bad to worse, now we start getting the words. Look at what the foreman here complained to Moses and Aaron, verse 20. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to him, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made a stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. 
and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. You've only hurt us. Just stop. We don't want your help. All of this so-called ministry you're a part of is just wrecking things. Wow. Some heavy stuff, friends. And look at here in verse 22. And Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? I mean, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Well, I guess as it happened from the beginning, it even happens today, it happened with Moses. This is somebody's fault. Let's blame God. You know, people like that, no matter what's going on, what series of choices they have made or the choices of people around them, ultimately it comes down to this, God should have done something. And I want to tell you something, friends. I mean, you know the story. God is absolutely doing something. You know, and sometimes God makes things worse before they get better. Have you ever cleaned a garage or a, a basement or anything like that? Have you ever done that? I mean, surely you have. Have you ever noticed that it always gets worse before it gets better? You start pulling everything out and it's just chaos. And, and every time somebody walks in, oh my goodness, I know it's terrible here, but it's going to get better, you know? And it's hard to see it when it keeps getting worse, you know? I mean, think about it. The answer to some sicknesses is this. Well, let's slice them open and cut stuff out. Really? How is that going to help? That seems worse than what's going on, cutting someone open. But the fact is, friends, sometimes, even many times, it's got to get worse before it will get better. And part of God's plan, remember, let's go big picture here. One of the battles for me all week was there's all kinds of trees. You know, the, the idea of the forest and the trees. You know, you, the trees are nothing but details. We can find all kinds of details in the passage. But the big question here is the forest. I mean, what's going on here? I mean, why did God make a covenant with, with Abraham f to begin with? I mean, why, why did he uh, uh, allow Joseph to end up down in Egypt? Was it really nothing more than to, you know, there was a famine coming? He was going to spare this, 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 this family? You know, now there's two and a half million of them? I mean, what's the point anyway? And the answer is as is, is, is simple as this. If you want to ask a question of why, the answer is God's glory. Why did this happen? The answer is God's glory. God will bring glory to himself through all of these things if we respond the right way or even if we don't. You may miss it completely if you have a bad attitude about it, my friends. I mean, why brain sir? Why, why do I get a term? Oh, today is my anniversary. Did you know that? 
you know what a craniversary is? It is an anniversary in which I had a, a craniotomy. Remember, they cut the top of my head off and scraped out this tumor with a rusty spoon? Okay, they probably didn't use a rusty spoon, but they did. And you say, well, why? I mean, why? Was it something? Was I not doing what God is just God punishing me for something? And the answer is no. The reason is for God's glory. I mean, you know, think about this. Do you know how God gets the most glory is when the attention is off us on him. When we can see him do things that there's no possible way that we ourselves could do. And obviously, it's not by a man going in and saying, Pharaoh, you really ought to let the people go. I mean, let's understand this. This nation is not going to be birthed by the will of man. It will be birthed because of the actions and the power of God. And you know who gets the glory for that? It is not Moses, my friends. It is God. This is all for the glory of God. Yes, so we need to first see the failure of man. Simply going and talking will not be enough. Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. He's going to kind of dig himself in and say, I'm not moving on this one. And you're going to see people all around him saying, come on, it's time to give up. Enough. Just let those people go. And he will say, I will not. And all the while, God is showing his power. He is showing that he controls all things and we are beginning to understand what kind of God we serve in light of it. Wow. So the people, foreman complaining to Pharaoh, then Pharaoh complaining to Moses. Verse 22, Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you send me? For since I have come to Pharaoh... And speak in your name. He has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Seems like a frustrating moment here. God said he was going to do something. And it didn't happen when Moses wanted it to. So take a look here in the next chapter. We see God's answer. But the Lord said to Moses, verse 1, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will deliver them out of the land. Verses 1 to 30, God's answer, simple plan, and a long-term promise. Notice verse 2. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Yahweh, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give to them the land of Canaan and the land in which they lived as sojourner. Moreover, verse 5, I have heard the groanings of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and I have remembered my covenant. And look at here, his loving purpose. This is God's answer to their circumstance. He has a simple plan. He has a long-term promise. 
He's heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and has remembered his covenant. And look at the loving purpose here in verses 6 through 9. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgments. And we know all about that. Israel's in a bad way right here. Slaves in Egypt. And God's going to bring them out. And they're going to make a movie called The Ten Commandments about it, right? Yeah. All right. So I'll take you to, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God and you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into a land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery, frustration. They had been in it so long, they did not see a way out. Though God had spoken and Moses passed along these words, God had a very loving purpose, and that was to bring them out. He had a simple plan with a strong hand, verse 1. In chapter 10, he would send them out, a strong hand delivering them. And it's a long-term promise. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Yahweh. I did not make myself known to them. God has some new things for the people of God. The problem is this. They have a hard time seeing it. I mean, here they are, slaves. Here they are, trapped. Moses is reminding them, of God's loving purpose. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, verse 7. I will take you out to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. You will see that throughout this, this section that we're looking at, this, this reminder, I am Yahweh. I am your God. I am the God who will keep promises. I am the God of this nation. I love you. I am able. You must trust in me. And Moses spoke to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses. And why? Because of their broken spirits and harsh slavery. And it's not hard to relate have you ever been in such a way that you've been so frustrated, so beaten down for so long, it's just hard to believe the promises of God? 
We begin to argue with such thing. Well, if God was really good, he would never. I wonder if you've ever said such things. And yet God has a plan for these people. Well, they may be in a very bad way on this day. God says, this is what will happen. Why? Why is God able to say that? Because he is God. This is what I will do. God's making some big promises here. Yeah. And he's got this loving purpose. You know, it's a simple plan. Tell you what I'll do with a strong hand. He will send them out and with a strong hand, he will drive them out. Pharaoh's gonna kick you right out of here. And it will be because the Lord has acted. It's a simple plan with a long-term promise. Verse 2 to 5, God spoke to Moses, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. This is a plan that started long before you. God has a plan to bring glory to himself, to do good to his own people. And through this nation will, of course, come Jesus. Jesus, Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one the God-man, ultimate salvation will come through you. It's a long-term promise, my friend, and it's a loving promise. Here is God that says, I will not leave you where you are. So say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I'm Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the heavy burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you. I will deliver you. And I want you to notice here also, God's answer involved a simple plan, a long-term promise, a loving purpose, and God's man to make it possible. Do you know oftentimes that God can, without even a word, change everything? But have you noticed throughout all of biblical history, God uses a man, a woman, a child to accomplish, to work through these people. And here we find God's men in verse 10. God's men in verse 10. A problem of confidence. So the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. I mean, how then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so here it is, when it feels like nothing is working, nobody's listening, the people don't believe me, God says, it won't be done by your power. It will be done by me. I will bring them out. Yes, wow. So raising up God's men. They had a problem of confidence. But now here they are given an official commission. An official commission. What is God's answer to their difficulties, to their problems, to their enslavement? God has an answer. And it is to bring them out, to deliver them. Notice here in verse 14, 
this official commission. These are the heads of the fathers. This feels very, very odd. We're reading this account, you know, where the Lord is now acting and moving among the people of God, and then suddenly, seemingly out of nowhere, we have this genealogy. Like, no, what happens next? Boom, genealogy. Why? Take a look. These are the heads of the fathers of the houses of the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel. Hanach, Palu, Hezron, Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The ones of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Abba, Jachin, Zoar, and Shual, and the son of the Canaanite woman. And these are the clans of Simeon. We're, we're looking at the patriarchs here. You know, the sons of Jacob. And, and it seems like an awkward fit. But God is, is giving us a glimpse of Moses in context here. You know, laying it out who this Moses is that God will use to bring out the people of Israel. Verse 16, these are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generation, Gershon, Koath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. And the sons of Gershon, and Libni, and Shimei, and their clans, the sons of Koath, Amron, Izar, Hebron, and Uziel, and the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. And the sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. And here in verse 20, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. Get a little context on these people that God will use to deliver his people. An official charge, an official, you know, uh, commissioning of these individuals comes with this genealogy. The sons of Izzer and Korah, Nepheg and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Mishael, Zithri. Aaron took his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab, Aminadab, and the sister of Nation. And she bore him Nadab, and Abihu, and Eleazar, and Ithamar, and the sons of Korah, Seir, Elkanah, Abiasif, and these are the clans of the Korites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Butiel, and she bore him Phinehas. And these are the heads of the father's house of the Levites by their clans. And notice the clarification after the genealogy here, friends. These are the Aaron and Moses. Go ahead and look at that. Just clarifying. God is about to birth this nation. He made a promise in Genesis chapter 12 about a nation to Abraham. And it is about to be birthed with great pain, no doubt. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and Aaron. On the day when Yahweh spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, 
Yahweh said to Moses, I am Yahweh. You'll notice that repeated oft throughout this book, throughout these chapters. God reminding them, do not forget my name. Know who I am. I am Yahweh. I'm the God who is a promise keeper to you. He makes the promises. He keeps the promises. I am Yahweh. And tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to him, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And do you know what it is that Moses is missing at this point? It is something that is oft missed by us. When we understand what it is that God has called us to do, we mistakenly believe that it will be done in our power with our wisdom and our understanding and our abilities. But you, you know the story well. It is God who will bring about these plagues, not Moses. Moses needs to be a part of what it is that God is doing. God lays it out. God tells clearly what Moses ought to do. And it is God who does the work. And friends, I believe that ought to be a part of how we're living out our faith in Jesus Christ. What is it that God has called you to do? Now, there are a myriad of uh, instructions in the Scripture, you know, but I, I would suggest that uh, most of them could come down to this word, and it is love. To love the people around you, to love God. You know, love is that sacrificial investment in someone else. It is not for our good, but for their good. And yet, while it is for their good, if it is good for the body of Christ, it is good for us. You know, there is so much. And as we read the Scriptures and the Spirit of God lays out for us what it is that He would have us to do in particular circumstances, we live it out for His glory in the good of his people. We don't have to understand it. We simply must be a part of it. And so here it is, God. This isn't Moses' idea. Hey, let's come up with a plan to get out of here. This is God from beginning to end. This will be his ministry, Moses leading. How? By the power of God and with the wisdom of God. And Moses will become this great man. And what will it be that makes Moses so great? He simply does what God tells him to do. What sets him apart from everyone else is he hears what it is that God would have him to do, and he does it. He's got this problem of confidence. And so here in verses 14 to 30, we have this official commissioning. And the commission is not, Moses, this is what you will do. The commissioning, this setting apart and clear identification of who we're talking about is what God is going to do through him. So let's lay it out here. Sermon in a sentence. Setbacks in ministry will set the stage for God to step in. Setbacks in ministry. Moses, here he is. God says, go. He goes. Pharaoh says, I'm not listening to you. Not only that, I'm going to make it harder on everyone you represent. The whole nation of Israel now is going to suffer because of this. It seems like a giant setback. And yet all of it, 
is setting the stage to see what God will do. I mean, that is the nature of obedience, is to be in the right place doing the right thing, that which God has called us to do, to see what God will do in the midst of it. My friends, it's all about laying it out there, being where God wants you to be, doing what he has called you to do. It doesn't matter if you understand it. It doesn't matter that you do the calculations and say, I don't see how this could possibly work out. I mean, sending Moses to Pharaoh, why should Pharaoh care what Moses has to say? And yet all of it is a setup to highlight the glory of God, to reveal what kind of God this, this Yahweh is. Answering that question, you know, who is Yahweh that I should listen to him? Well, we're going to start next week. We're going to plow through some chapters that make it very clear why Yahweh should listen to him. You know, those Egyptians, they worshiped the God of the sun, Ra. They had a God for everything, it seemed. A God in the river, a God for health, a God for life, a God for this, and a God for that. And what they're going to find in just a, a couple of chapters here is the one true God. The God of Israel. The God who is working his plan through his people for his glory and the good of his people. So recall this, some lessons here from Moses' life early on. Opposition is not a sign of failure. God told Moses to go deliver a, a, a message to Pharaoh. Now one might think, oh, that's how God's going to get him out there. You know, in our own understanding, we say, well, surely God would work that way because that's the way I'd like it. But that wasn't the case at all. That was part of the success that would come. And Moses saying, I'm not doing that. It was setting up the big way in which God would be glorified and his people would be delivered. So opposition is not necessarily a sign of failure. And oh, by the way, the results of ministry are worth the adversity we may face. So Moses gets the nose, the embarrassing moments when he does what God says, and it just seems to fall flat in his face, but all of it leading to success. The results of ministry, my friends, are worthy of the adversity that we face. Moses is going to see a lot of nose, a lot of opposition, but there's two and a half million people there in slavery who are on the verge of being set free. Why? Because God steps up working through the people of God for his glory and their good. Do what it is that God has called you to do. What the Spirit of God keeps poking at you about. You know what I'm talking about? That stuff that you kind of brush away and think about something else? I don't know if I want to do that. The results of ministry are certainly worth the adversity you will face. It's a lot of work, Pastor. You know, it's so bad, and I usually do this, and it'll have to change my schedule. If God has called you to it, my friends, the best thing you can possibly do for you, for the people around you, and for the glory of God is to get at it. So what has God called you to do? 
I mean, how has God gifted you? That's a pretty big clue right there, my friends. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Spiritual gift? Hmm? That might be the place to start. How has the Spirit of God gifted you to be an important asset of the church? To be an important, essential aspect of the church becoming what it is that God is working on. And finally, get at it. Discover it, get at it. Realize that hard is never the reason to turn away. You know, I've had a lot of dogs in my life, and not a one of them thought a closed door meant it was locked. You know, those of you that have dogs, maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. They walk up to the closed door, and they give it a little push. Just because it looks hard doesn't mean it's the end of the road. Stick with it, my friends. Stick with it. Let's pray together. God help us.